This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. We're back for another A24 retrospective episode with J.C. Chandor's A Most Violent Year. If you haven't already, be sure to check out episode 219, uh, the last episode in this series, when Matthew Simpson of awesome friday oh my god i almost forgot his podcast name wow, awesome friday. on that like four times this past month. and i'm going on later this afternoon too of awesome friday with simon best uh discussing i'm leaving all this in <laughs> sorry matthew i'm discussing the captive with dakota um this week we have todd penned gelly which I just recently learned is how to pronounce his surname, to the show. Todd is a debate coach by day and a film critic by night. He has written for Screen Rant and the Sunday Times, and he is a regular contributor for For Real, which is a fantastic film site started by Thomas Stoneham Judge, friend of the show, who was on uh, the episode we did for A24, which was about Locke, um, Tom Hardy's Locke, and he was great in it, so you should go check that one out too. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Todd during TIFF uh, last year, as well as Thomas... And I think I might have met Taylor really briefly. Um, so I'm really, really excited that he's on here. And we should probably get Taylor on at some point to complete the uh, for real little trio there or, or crew. Um, so, Todd, how you been? How's, how's things hanging? Good. I've been good. I'm excited to be here. Really excited. That was like hearing y'all do the intro live was like <laughs> seeing... Elvis in person. <laughs> oh, oh boy! Just, uh, just to pull a random musician out of my pocket. Yeah, no, no connection to anything at all. How None. random? Yes. So anyway, <laughs> um, right? Yeah, Elvis is. Um, he will factor in for the next few months of this show. I'm pretty confident. Um, no, no, he won't. Yes, he no. will. It's going to be amazing. No. Um, I will do my part to make sure that that happens. Um, oh, Dakota, how are you? Um, before we get into any more stuff with Todd, how you doing? Oh yeah, I'm here too. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Um, it's interesting. This is actually our our last uh 2014 a 24 movie. And it's funny. I was looking at it. I was like, huh, maybe we should like start doing like our top threes when we, whenever we finish a year of the a 24 movies. Uh, but that's uh that's something we can maybe do on a on a future discussion. But uh, I'm very happy that Todd is here. He's a uh, he's only been pestering me for uh for the better part of a year now of when he can come on the show, and I kept being like, no, Todd, I don't want you on the show. Oh, and then finally, after he wore me down, I was like, fine, you can come on for uh check note a most violent year. No one wants to be on that, right? Yeah, I'm nothing if not uh, perseverant. So. <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm very happy we were able to get you on, and I want to have you on for a while. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad it finally worked out for all of us. I'm like looking at the 2014 slate for A24 now, and that's an impressive year for A24. It really like, was a very yeah. very impressive year for A24. I know Tusk would be number one for you, Rachel. God, that movie! It's just <laughs> what a way. Todd, what do you think of Tusk? <laughs> Um. Yeah, no, not not for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> not not, not for me. It's just, it's not good. <sighs> Anyways, um, we're not talking about Tusk this week. We are talking about a violent year, or a most violent year, sorry. But um, before we get into that, as always, when we have a new guest on this series, we like to ask them our A24-4 questions. I would should note to Dakota, we still, that was supposed to be a TBD title, like it was pending. We were meant to... Mm-hmm 
change it up, never changed it. So yeah, we never we workshopped just, anything better. No, I think we're just stuck with it now. Um, but Todd, let's get into it for you first. So what are your top three A24 films? Okay, so this is a this feels like an easy question. And then <laughs> you kind of look at all of their films and you're like, oh, here are my top three from like that year. Yep. And then you go to the next year and you're like, well, that's just impossible. So I struggled through this one a bit and decided that I would just go with the, the three that kind of, I think, meant the most to me in their particular years. Um, so in chronological order, and also maybe just in like the actual order, one through three, uh, Moonlight at one, mm-hmm. First Cow at two, and Everything Everywhere, all at once at three. Okay. Um, like relatively newer ones, actually, eh? Yeah, well, that was the thing is like, I kind of, I was like, I, I struggled with, I was like, how far back do I go? Because I, I saw, I think a lot of the ones that were from way back when, like, you know, 2013, 2014, that kind of stuff. I saw those after I saw like Moonlight, for example, but, and so like in my mind, Moonlight is like much further back also i mean i just can't even believe i'm saying this but like moonlight came out like almost seven years ago but seven years uh, ago wow yeah it was 2016 oh wow oh it's not as but yeah i I think then i i'm thinking of it as like still like just a few years ago well first cow and everything everywhere yeah those are are, those are yeah those are really recent but moonlight i genuinely in my brain it's like it just happened a few years ago yeah same COVID. you know throws everything (laughs) off but yeah i yeah, I loved First Cow. I think First Cow hit me at a, a really, like, that was kind of early pandemic. I find that movie incredibly moving and just, you know, it's a very small cast. There's, like, no more than three people on screen, really, at any given time. So it was just very kind of, like, I'm sitting with my feelings with, like, two people, and I'm just going to feel that very heavily, um, during the pandemic, which was a very, I don't know, I think that, that hit me in a very raw spot, and I love that movie a lot. And then I don't need to, need to sing the praises of everything everywhere all at once. That so that's a that's a that's a good one. Everyone knows it. So yeah, those are my three probably. Spoiler alert: Everything everywhere all at once is a good movie. Who knew? Yeah. Wow. I'm like, if you haven't heard of this little movie, <laughs> well, you should go check it out. That's how it started, right? It was a little movie. Mm-hmm. And now it's this massive thing, which is cool. But um, so you kind of alluded to this already, but uh, is is Moonlight, is that your introduction to A24? It's not. I think okay. my introduction is, mm, hold on, I'm looking at the list here. I think Room, maybe. Uh, okay. I think Room was probably the first one that I was really like, that's a movie that I will come back to time and again. Really? And that I, re- yeah. Oh. Wait, you don't, not, not you that don't I think like it's a bad children? movie. I just, I just think it's like a <laughs> tough movie to, to sit through. Like it's, it is, it's not one that I, like, again, it's, it's a good movie, but right. it's, it's not, not one that I would ever, I don't think I have watched it again, actually. It's not like my, it's not like everything everywhere. I'm like, I'm not like, you know what I should pop on tonight is room, but <laughs> nice like, movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but room was, I think where I was like, wow, this is, 
I think the Brie Larson performance, the Jacob Tremblay performance, both of them, I was like, it felt like it was really calling down from something higher that I hadn't seen in, in at least in an A24 movie to that point that I hadn't seen, not to say that they hadn't existed, obviously. And mm-hmm. there are some excellent performances and movies from A24 that came before it, um, obviously. But but yeah, that a room might have been kind of where I first was like, oh, this is a, this is like, A24 is like a name that I will begin to recognize at the beginning of, of movies. And I believe that's their first movie that they won an Academy Award with, if I'm not mistaken, if I I, remember that. That sounds right. Amy uh, won Best Documentary. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was going to say, I think I learned that on Dakota's episode. Oh, it was the same year, though. Yeah. What was that episode called? Sorry, Dakota. A History of A24. History of A24, which is an excellent, excellent Contrazoom episode, by the way, for people looking to watch. Thanks for looking the plug. To backpack. It's like it genuinely is to me the best episode that the show has ever done. <laughs> like I think it's so good. It's a, it's such a great like cohesive and very um, well written um, history. But anyways, enough about Dakota. Um, back to Todd. Um, okay, so your introduction is Room, which is a pretty heavy introduction, but understandably because I think that was probably one of the ones that um brings a24 to more of the mainstream more so than any movie it had done before um so going on to the next question then what director dead or alive do you think would make um a good a24 film okay so i have like two answers to this question Mm-hmm. One of them is a joke answer and one of them is the real answer. So I'm going to start with the joke answer, which is John Woo, who has made such great movies as Hard Boiled and Face Off. You can which get I know is... from Rachel on that one. I don't see how that's a joke, Todd. That would yeah. be an excellent answer. <laughs> I, don't, I do I don't, think it would. I, I, was... I fail to see the humor in this. <laughs> I do think John Woo would, would at, you know, at his absolute apex, would have made awesome a24 films um no the real answer and this was like kind of surprising to me because like it just kept coming back and like popping back into my head is i think peter weir who but not peter weir of like master and commander like big budget peter weir um but like the kind of beginning picnic and hanging rock last wave like 1970s australian new wave peter weir i know you're like dead or alive and i'm like really straddling in the middle. I'm like, no, we're just taking Peter Weir from, from the 1970s. He doesn't get to grow out of that. But I I think that kind of a 24 really empowers like, you know, those genre filmmakers, those very stylistic auteurs. And, and I think he obviously grew out of that. There's, and into some larger studio fare, like the Truman show mm-hmm. and dead poet society. But I, it would have been really interesting to, if that had existed back in the 1970s to just see him kind of run, run wild doing his thing. Um, Australian new wave style with them. I don't know. That's the one I kept coming back to. And I'm not even like a huge Peter Weir guy, but I was like that. It felt like he would do it. in like a Josephine Decker, Kelly Reichardt kind of way. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that answer because, you know, the, the question is phrased as dead or alive. And obviously, Peter Weir is, is not dead and he's still 
active somewhat. Um, but for the most part, everyone's kind of picking modern directors, usually directors who are are either too big to, to sort of fit in the A24 mold or ones that just haven't made a movie distributed or produced by A24 yet. So I sort of appreciate that that you're kind of digging back a little bit in, in film history to, to pull a, a name like Peter Weir, even John Woo too. Um, both of them, you know, not active in the A24 era, but uh, you could definitely see how they might be an influence on modern directors today and the types of films that get produced by A24. Yeah, I would also thank say, you. Yeah. I would also say like Dead Poet Society, Truman Show, and like you said, all of his Australian new wavy stuff. But like those are, I think, very A24 like in their own, especially the Truman Show, actually. Like that's a very yeah. kind of A24 type of movie. Um, you, but you yeah, can see, like, I, I, I love being influence and an influence on the Daniels, even. Yeah, absolutely, Definitely. absolutely. Um, that's a great answer, though. Yeah, because we don't. We Dakota, you're right. Like, we don't normally get an answer like a, a Peter Weir type answer, whatever that mm-hmm. means. Um, but like when you said that, that's that's a really good, very very solid pick, um, Todd. Well done, A plus. I thank you. I do think that uh, if if A twenty four had existed in the nineties, that whatever Jim Carrey's yeah. paycheck was in 1998 probably would have broken the a24 bank <laughs> but like stylistically the movie itself like absolutely yeah. yeah think about like that's actually and we don't this is not a question on that thing but like for actors that could be a tw- like jim carrey could have been or he still could be um a, he would fit in nicely with some a24 movies he's a bit quirky maybe not 90s jim carrey but um, no early 2000s later jim carrey i mean truman yeah. show after you know, yeah, cable, yeah. Shots, cable guy even is yeah, even say. yeah, cable guy could mm-hmm. be yeah, guys a really like, yeah, twenty four yeah. type movie. I um, think I think Jack Black would have would make a great A twenty four actor. He would too. Actually. still actually. I'm su- I'm surprised he hasn't been in one actually because he he would fit in well. Um, this is how we find out that he's actually been in like five yeah. and we just haven't seen them. <laughs> We're like wait, Jack Black like. He narrated Amy. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think he did. But like, it wouldn't shock me, especially since he does do some smaller films, like here and there, like um, Bernie or something like that, where mm-hmm. that an A twenty four film. Interesting. Um, all right, so we've said it, kind of talking about a little bit about like saying like, oh, they'd make like a good A twenty four. That's an A twenty four type movie. So, Todd, for you, what makes an A twenty four film? Um. So this this is just my kind of rule on this is I I mean I think there's a lot of obviously there's like an empowering like our tours and and it not being the world's biggest budget and you know all of that stylistic stuff that comes with an A24 film but really at the end of the day it's very much like if I more or less kind of know what the film is going to like be about and I know it's coming from someone who's very into their own bag and then I turn on the movie or I sit down in the theater and I watch the movie and a 24 pops on the screen and I go, Oh yeah, of course it's an a 24 film. Then that's what makes it like an a 24 film. Like I turned on white noise in December, the new Bombback film. And it was like, boom, Netflix. And then it was like a 24. I was like, yeah, of course this is. So I was like, yeah, of course, of course, Bombback's new film is a 24. And, um, that's not, that's, that's not to say that it's a bad thing. Right. Um, there's like when I started watching After Sun at TIFF and it started with A24, I was like, oh, of course, this is an A24 film. I was like, of course, the Paul Mescal, like sad drama <laughs> is going to be an A24 film. Um, so, yeah, I, 
that's like my my metric for it and it happens so often where i like will just be like oh did not know that was an a24 film and then or i forget i think that's what happens more often is i forget and then i sit down to watch it i'm like of course this is yeah do you have another studio that like when you see their title card come up you think the same thing that you're like oh of course this is a blank movie i think uh, there are like two answers. I'm kind of like that with Sony Picture Classics, although they come up less often than yeah. A24. But I'm like, oh yeah, like, of course this is. Um, the one I get really excited when I see, not to say that I don't get excited when I see A24, is whenever I see Neon. I'm like a, a shill for Neon. Um, I see Neon, I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, this is going to be one of the best things I've seen all year. And it almost invariably is, but but it's not the same kind of like, oh, yeah, of course it is. I think they still have like a probably a year or two left of goodwill before I'm like, yeah, this, of course this is a neon movie. <laughs> before yeah, like they're just the everywhere. Closest, I would say like in doing that. But Sony Picture Classic, that's a that's a good one. I wish they would improve their logo because their logo is crap. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. I don't get it. It's Sony. Like they have the money. <laughs> Go hire a proper graphic designer and do something. But they just want. They I seem. They seem to just want to like keep what their television like equipment logo is, and just like that's it. And it's just like it's so yeah. weird. Like yeah. it's just so odd to me that like one of the bigger companies, Sony, they have such yeah. a crappy, crappy logo. Um, but anyways, those are all really great answers. I would say like I like that uh, when you're saying um, what makes an A24. It just kind of is almost an inherent thing that after you've seen a few of them, um, it just kind of comes out. Like you're like, yeah, that's an A24. And I think we all understand what you mean by that, that when you see that logo pop up, you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know what you're kind of in store for. Um, And Neon, I I would agree with you that Neon's kind of in the same um, vein as that too. So so thank you for that, Todd. And appreciate all your answers. And good Peter Weir. I I like that one. I think that's might might be my favorite director answer that we've gotten so far is the Peter Weir one. Woo! Um, now you might go back and you might hear me say that for every single person, but I really do like the Peter Weir one. I think that that's a <laughs> in really the moment great, it's the best one. I think it's really good. Like that's a that's a really really good shout. I really enjoy that. I understand you and your men have a job to do here, but we're in the middle of a ten year old's birthday party. And I'm sorry, but we are coming in. That's not a problem. We have nothing to hide from you. My husband is a good man. Don't mistake his honesty for weakness. He deserves respect. This was very disrespectful. I run a fair and clean business, and I will fight to my last breath to prove that. These are dangerous times, and we have to adapt. It's not like when we was driving. murders and rapes in this city last year than there have ever been so if you've come to tell me that we have an urgent security issue here trust me i'm aware this can't continue you're more here um all right so before we get into the actual movie um i'll just give us a bit of a background on a most violent year so it was released in theaters at the end of 2014 uh literally on december 30th, but it also had a bit of a preview in November. Um, as Dakota said, it was the last movie for A24 in 2014. So that's kind of interesting because it was a great year. Not a violent year. It was a most great year for A24. Anyways, uh, it was acquired by A24 during Sundance um, earlier in the in the same year in 2014. And it's directed by JC Chandor, who also directed Triple Frontier, Margin Call, All is Lost. And he is going to be um, doing the 
upcoming Marvel movie, Craven the Hunter, which has Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, don't know how I feel about that. Don't know anything about Craven the Hunter, but interesting to say that the that Chandor is moving on to some Marvel stuff. So that's kind of good for them because, yeah, Marvel can get people on the map, can get things done. So that's great. Um, so A Most Violent Year stars Oscar Isaac as Abel Morales, a trucking company owner who's hellbent on being very straight and narrow and working within the confines of an incredibly crooked industry. Uh, his drivers and workers are constantly being hijacked, knowing that Abel doesn't... Is it Abel or Abel? Abel. Abel, thank you. I knew I kept saying it wrong in my head, so Abel, thank you. Um, he doesn't fight back, he doesn't arm his employees, and this frustrates his wife, Anna, who is played by the fantastic Jessica Chastain, um, to no end, because she is aware of what needs to be done to actually survive in that industry, but also just in New York City, um, in, in any industry, really. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, we say, Apple? Apple? Abel. Abel. I can't say his name. Buying a terminal on the shores of New York City. And he tries to, for the rest of the film, we're basically seeing him trying to raise the remaining end of the capital. And um, a few things happen, including the hijacks, but he's also being investigated by ADA Lawrence, who's played by David Oyelowo, um, and who's investigating him, but also the industry um, at large. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And it is a, I would say, a relatively quiet movie considering the title. The, where the title comes from is um, it's set in 1981 in New York City, and that is um, considered to be one of the most violent years um, in the city's history, which if anyone knows anything about New York, that's kind of saying something. But the film itself is not that violent. It's more of almost... I hate to call it a slice of life because that sounds very positive, <laughs> um, but it is. It's kind of just like a glimpse into this industry. It's a glimpse into what uh, Morales is going through uh, and definitely slower pace. And it's a lot more atmospheric than I think what people initially might think going into the movie, um, which I find an interesting thing. So before we get into kind of the nitty gritty details of the film, um, I just want to see how you guys like the movie. So Todd, why don't we start with you? How do you, how'd you like this movie and had you seen it before? Or was this the first time going into this? I had not, okay. I had not seen it before. Okay. Um, I liked it. Yeah. It, it took me kind of a, a minute to, I think wrap my head around, maybe not, not wrap my head around, but kind of get in line with the same energy of the movie because like you said rachel i think you go into it with a a different expectation mm -hmm. just based on like plot description and definitely the title right yeah. you're yeah. not coming into some you do not expect to come into something so like low octane as this film but it, it it's definitely operating in a a lower gear than expected but once i kind of like also found that gear i was really riding with this movie and yeah I thought I thought it was very good. Uh, Dakota, how about you? Uh, yeah, I got I got two things I kind of really want to lead off with. Um, first off, like every movie needs to star Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. They're just <laughs> so friggin' good apart, but also in this movie. I love watching them together. They just got such great chemistry, uh, and they and you just you just know that they've created characters and they're they're bringing everything to these characters, and you see that throughout the film. Uh, and the other thing is like it's just so funny 
reading reviews of this movie of what other people think. So like look up on Letterboxd and you get like some people who are like, oh man, this movie is a perfect movie. But then a lot of them are like, uh, it's kind of slow. It uh, meanders a little bit. The plot doesn't really make sense. Stuff like that. I'm just like, are, are these people watching the same movie as me? Because this movie is like a banger for me. It is an interesting thing. Like they, and I don't blame, I don't want to blame the movie or anything, but like they kind of set it up that people's expectations are are what they are like it's called yeah. the most violent year you're expecting i don't know i i remember when i think i walked into it i was expecting a gangster movie like a just a yeah. pure Scorsese you're expecting movie. heat and it's not absolutely and and it is it's it's just it's all like i keep thinking of it as like it's all the um they're not many but it's all like the quieter atmospheric moments of goodfellas like if you take yeah. all the violent crap yeah. of goodfellas <laughs> that's basically what this movie is it's but everyone has an expectation going into it that it is going to be um you know i think what todd said that it's so low octane like everyone thinks you're going to go into it that it's just going to be at an 11 at the beginning and it's just going to continue to ride out um and it's like i don't know I, i don't know if that's something to mark against the movie per se because you know it's it's just a title but the title it does make sense when you kind of put it all together um but one thing um, I did want to talk about was the fact that this movie is so uh, it is slower and it is more atmospheric. I think that the cinematographer needs to get a bit of a shout out here. So the cinematographer mm-hmm. on this one is Bradford Young. Um, Bradford Young has done movies like he did uh, the DP for Selma um, for solo and arrival, which he got an Academy award for, or nomination for, sorry, not he didn't win, but he, he was nominated, um, for arrival. And so he's incredibly talented. Like he's, he's such a good one. So for this one, I think that he does just an incredible job building New York, 1981 without it being almost obvious that it's 1981. Like it's, yeah. it's, you can see it from the fashion and the cars and that kind of thing. But, um, generally speaking though, it's, it's, He's very subtle in the way that he builds the world. So I just want to say, what did you guys think of the way that Young kind of builds that out? So Dakota, um, I started with Todd before. So Dakota, what about you? Oh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. The cinematography plays a huge part in this. I, I think th- the fact that I've been a fan of Chandor's two previous films, Margin mm-hmm. Call and All Is Lost, maybe that sort of helped me go in knowing that it's going to be a bit of a, a slower burn. Uh and and yeah, you, you get these like really nice slow tracking shots where the, the camera's barely sort of moving, you know, just sort of following the characters, but it's mostly static. And and somehow by doing that, we still sort of feel the pressure of the characters of what they're going through, because really the, the, the crux of this movie is. Abel is sort of getting the screws twisted in on him from all directions. Literally, you have it coming in from uh, from the law, from his competitors, from his employees, from his wife, from his family. Like it's is coming from every single direction. Pressure is building on him, and this is a man that will not crack. And the way that the camera just sort of lingers on him while Oscar Isaac is thinking and deciding and processing, it really does sort of help set the tone for what kind of movie this is and allows everything to really breathe. Todd, what'd you think about the, uh, about Young's work on this one? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was incredible. And um, there are certain moments where I think cinematography, especially in, in movies that aren't action movies, but can have action sequences. The cinematography can 
really be like the driving force in in those scenes of just the kind of like vibe of the movie in that moment and there's a number of of action set pieces more or less in this movie but there's one in particular where oscar isaac is is chasing down one of his own trucks and without getting like too much into the specifics of it just for like the sake of brevity right he goes through this like dark tunnel there's this dark tunnel sequence and and this is like a pure like i don't know like four straight minute action sequence of just like chasing um either on car or on foot and it yet it never feels like from a cinematography perspective it's like amping up the movie it feels like it's only reinforcing that kind of like driving the screws in from all sides that like dakota says it feels like it's only reinforcing that rather than changing the kind of energy we're supposed to have and and that tunnel sequence in particular as it just kind of grows darker and darker and darker and then he lets you like sit in the darkness and he doesn't cut it it's not very flashy it was really like oh he knows how to shoot this chase sequence without changing the kind of like chandor's direction of the film in terms of he wasn't taking it into a higher gear even though there was a you know pretty big climactic chase scene yeah that that scene could have been shot completely different that could have used a lot of cross cutting uh shaky cam uh bright lights you know cutting back and forth between the drivers of of the truck and and oscar isaac all that sort of stuff and it's not it just sort of sits in the car with oscar isaac as his like visibility slowly gets worse and worse because the tunnel is getting darker and it's filled with dust and dirt and the car is driving through is kicking all that dust up and to the point where right at the end you can't see anything anymore it's just almost pitch black and you're like what happened where is this truck where did they go all this sort of stuff that's happening and that's probably what i would say the most tense moment of the entire film at least for me it was yeah and i think because because it's basically like a seems like it was like just like a two camera setup like one on i on on oscar isaac and then one just kind of out the front but because it's not cross-cutting to the other truck or to like i don't know overhead or anywhere in particular you don't know where that tunnel is going to end up like you like you don't know like he's driving into the dark and you are driving into the dark at the same time and in those action set pieces really the only thing the thing you're primarily relying on as a director is the cinematography because you don't have line readings do you mean oscar isaac is doing as much acting as one does when they're sitting behind the wheel of a car and they're chasing someone. Right. But you're not like you're, it's not Daniel day Lewis here. Like we're not, we're not having to talk about like monologues or, or anything like that. It's not great music swelling in that moment. It's really just relying on his cinematography to be able to capture the, the like necessity that Oscar Isaac's character is driving with, but also the uncertainty of what, of what he is driving into. And I, I just, yeah, I was particularly blown away by that sequence. But overall, just their whole moments were just the cameras sitting there and characters are, are standing looking out at something or sitting in a room just thinking. And I'm just like, this is such a beautifully composed shot. It has a very observational feel to a lot of the scenes. Like we're, we're standing in the corner watching this stuff play out. Yeah. That's a really great point. Like, so the scene, I love that car chase scene too. I think that the tunnel 
with the dirt kicking up and everything that it's incredible. But the one that I, that stuck with me the most, the one that I thought was like really, um, and not adrenaline, like anxiety inducing, um, without being very frenetic or very flashy was when, uh, there's like an intruder in their home and Mm. it's, Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, like they get up in bed and they're like, what was that? So Oscar Isaac says, okay, let me go, let me go check it out. And what you said, Dakota, about the camera just being like observational, that's exactly what it, it, it doesn't follow him into like each individual room that he's checking. And you yeah. don't really get to see a wide scope of what the house looks like. Um, you're just literally following behind him in the hallway. And then you hear little things like he goes into a room and grabs a bat. He sees his dog, like, you know, kind of whimpering at a certain part of the house and things like that. Um, and I, that for me, that scene is the one that stuck out to me the most because it's so subtle and it doesn't, he doesn't do like the silly things of like, you don't turn a light on. Like, you know, sometimes in horror movies, they purposely oh, yeah. build yeah. like stuff that just logically speaking, a human wouldn't do those things or you would do those things. Right. Um, but in this one, it's like, he plays it out exactly how I think most of us would do. Like you would turn the light on, you would grab something to, to protect yourself, like some sort of weapon or whatever. Um, but I love that the camera just sits back and we don't see everything. Um, it's not over the shoulder. It's not, you know, and, and it's not Oscar Isaac, you know, panting and like, you know, doing all these crazy little whatever things. Yeah, it's just him walking through his house being like, what's going on here? Um, so I love that scene. But I think Bradford Young just does such a great job in every movie that he's he's worked on. And like that to me is kind of one of his trademarks is it is that subtle, um, that subtlety of creating a lot of tense moments um, without doing very much like he relies on shadows and lighting and and this and that but he just and and together with chandor too like they don't overplay the score they don't you know they don't do all those kinds of things so i think that the two of them worked really really well together on this one the other thing so you kind of touched on it already dakota but one thing i want to talk about was oscar isaac and jessica chastain uh because i think they have one of the best like chemistries on screen um that not that we don't talk about it i think people do talk about it when when the subject comes up like but they are like an on-screen duo that I think deserves so much credit for just being really electric on screen and, and in the high moments and the low moments, like they're phenomenal together. And they obviously did another movie uh, recently, which was um, Scenes of of a Marriage? Or... Scenes from a Marriage. Yeah, it was a mini series. Scenes from a Marriage. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, or sorry. Yeah, miniseries. And that was when there was the the really sexy, yeah, the famous moments, the real sexy mm-hmm. red carpet moment. Um, but Dakota, you're you're a big Chastain fan. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, where does this sit? This her performance, but also this movie. Like, where does it sit with you amongst all of Chastain's stuff? Because um, you already talked a bit about Oscar and 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 uh, our girl Jess. Yeah, I uh, I, th- I think this is, you know, Chastain had a run there where just about every movie that she was in from you know early 2010s to the late 2010s frankly both of them every movie that they were in from that time period was just so new and exciting and we were seeing new performances from them where you literally would walk into a movie and be like 
this is an Oscar Isaac movie or this is a Jessica Chastain movie, and I don't know what to expect. There was actually a time period, you know, I know, I know you want me to talk about Jessica Chastain, but I'll say with Oscar Isaac, where I watched him, I think he was in like three or four different movies, like stuff like this and Ex Machina, and I can't remember what else was going on at the time. And I legit didn't realize it was the same actor every time. Uh, oh, Inside Lewin Davis as well. Like, he has this ability, you know, ex machina, he shaves his head, grows a beard, he looks a little bit different, I get it. But for the most part, you know, he still looks the same. But for some reason, I wasn't clicking in that it was the same person because he was giving us such a new and different and exciting performance every time. Whereas we're so used to movie stars having these archetypes of what types of characters they'll play and obviously you know there's there's nuance to that and some some characters don't mind getting some actors don't mind getting a little dirty and and stuff like that but it was just so different you know he how could he be the soft-spoken lewin davis and you know the insane mastermind behind ex machina and this calm cool and collected guy who's you know getting pressure turned in on him on a most violent year like i didn't get how this was the same performer it was so exciting and Jessica Chastain, I feel, was similar. You know, sh- her showing up in Tree of Life, obviously not as big as a, a part there. And then Zero Dark Thirty just absolutely exploding on the screen of commanding everything that was going on. And, and this, and basically playing um, like a, a Sopranos type character, was just so exciting to be a movie fan of this era and seeing these two performers and, and you just didn't know what you were going to get from them. And I absolutely loved it. Todd, how about you? So I think speaking of scenes from a marriage, I think scenes from a marriage kind of does this movie a disservice because this is a decidedly unsexy movie. Like (laughs) they have two very, very hot leads and there is no like sex, nudity, intimacy, really of any kind in the movie. Um, and so then you see those those red carpet moments. And if you watch scenes from a marriage, although it's not, I wouldn't say that's exactly uh, sexy either. Really, marriage like a <laughs> falling apart. But you know, everyone has their thing, I guess. But this movie is really like not about their chemistry whatsoever romantically speaking but when i was i was reading about the movie after and and, you know chastain recommended oscar isaac for the role because they were classmates at juilliard and i was like that makes so much sense to me because their their acting chemistry just like their ability to hold scene together Mm -hmm. is a pretty much maybe not unparalleled, but it's got to be some of the best duo acting. I mean, this scenes from marriage, just whenever they worked together over the last 10 years, they are one of the best just on screen duos in terms of, they know how to block a scene together. They know exactly how to, it seems like they, they're reacting off of each other's facial expressions. Like before they're even happening, it feels like they're really, really natural together. And I mean, obviously they're both incredible actors. There's no doubt, but yeah, it was, it was a real treat watching them together um, from, you know, 2014, which is at this point, eight years ago, no, nine years ago. Good Lord. Um, Although this, you know, like you said, December, what, 30th, 31st of 2014. So eight, we'll just, we'll just count it as eight. Yeah. I thought, (laughs) I thought they were incredible. 
I could have used, I was like, if they wanted to add an extra half hour of just like their home life, yeah. raising kids, I'm like, I'm, I'm here for it. Just give me more of those two on screen together. Yeah. I think they're, they're really good. Um, I'm not breaking any new ground here by saying Chastain and Isaac are good actors. What about you, Rachel? I think um, what you said, Todd, about like them adding, you know, 30 minutes, you know, I, I would 100% take that because there was one point where I realized I was like, oh, I kind of miss Chastain on screen. Like I missed that to see like what was going mm-hmm. on in there, even though, you know, the story with um, with Abel is is Abel, Abel, Abel is. We'll get um, there. Oh, God. Why can't they just call him Abel? <laughs> like, but anyways, but um, he like the, the movie's obviously focusing on him and um, all that you know the business side and and that's how Anna relates to the character is through the business end, not um through their marriage or through like you know any sort of romantic thing. And that was actually that's a like a side point is I'm really glad that they didn't throw in like he was some womanizer or like you know some. Mm-hmm gangster teamster with like a a girlfriend on the side like i like that it was just simply he's just the guy just trying to make things work for his um for his family um but the thing that i i did miss her at one point in the movie i think she's gone for like i want to say 30 minutes or so yeah Yeah. i feel like she's gone for a little while and i really missed having her on screen not simply because it's chastain because she's obviously very good as we have breaking news on on this show that chastain's a great good actress um, we're breaking a lot of news today i know it's it's, <laughs> it's pretty incredible but you know like i missed her and isaac together like i just liked seeing their bits about the marriage and and you know at the we won't spoil too much of it but like at the very end um or or nearer to the end when you know there's a bit of a reveal a bit of a not really a plot twist but there's like a thing um like i wish that we had more with that because um yeah i could have sat with their marriage and and watched it for ages but then you know we got scenes from a marriage so i guess it's kind of that but like you said todd they're decidedly both of them not sexy i would say they're not sexy yeah. but there is something kind of inherently sexy about them like just the two of them on there and i i love that i think the two of them are I really do think like they are one of the better duos that we have working today. And um, I hope that they do more and more stuff together, but I, I assume they will considering that they're actually friends in real life. So I, w- I would assume that they're going to do more. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I, I feel like if we got more of her character in this film, they would they would have had to change her arc up a little bit mm-hmm. because while obviously I didn't find her scenes annoying or repetitive or things like that, Often the focus of when she was on screen was, uh, Abel, you need to take care of our family. We're in danger. I'm taking care of the books. Uh, Do you have the money? And those are sort of the the, the three, you know, beats that her character mostly has. And so if it was more of it, I wouldn't want to be like her reminding Abel, hey, don't forget, you need to protect your family. (laughs) Also, get the money. Also, I'm taking the books. Um, they, They would have definitely had to add something different to their relationship and and what her character was going through in order to 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 justify that extra screen time because as it stands right now i feel like if they just were to add more scenes it just would have been more of that that's true like yeah you're right like they they need to build her character out a little bit more and as much as i am all for having a wife character not just be a wife and i don't think she is just a wife in this movie um but i you know the focus of this movie is on oscar isaac's character not on anything else yeah. so i i kind of understand why 
she takes a bit of a side um a side role on this like she she's and everything mm-hmm. like you said everything she does is in connection to him yeah um the same bits over and over and over again um can i can i ask you a question about her yeah mm-hmm. Enough of a New York accent in the movie? Yeah. What was it enough for you? There were times when I was like, it, she could ham it up a little. Yeah. It's tough because, like, Come on. because they were New Jersey. So it was like, do you go hard into like the New Jersey soprano sort of thing? Or do you do like because I think she's supposed to be from Brooklyn or something like that. Yeah. So, so I, I sort of look at it as this is a woman who uh doesn't want to be seen as a sort of like low class or trashy and have that like thick Brooklyn accent thing going on. Uh, so I wonder if that was a character decision of, you know, when she gets angry, the Brooklyn comes out, but you know, when she's composed, it isn't there as present. So I don't, I don't really know if it was a, if it was a conscious decision or if it was, you know, she wasn't strong enough at the accent or they didn't want it over the top. I don't, I don't really know. I feel, I agree with you that there, there maybe could be a little bit more, but, uh, but I wonder if that was a, a character choice on, on her and Chandor's part. I like that. It's not too hammy. I think that all of them do a pretty good, like it's not, it's not, um, it's not overbearing. Like it's not distracting. It doesn't become like a weird thing that you just focus on. Like in Goodwill hunting, everyone's, super boston in that one um, yeah the, yeah you know so i i like that there's just yeah. it, it's it comes in like peaks and valleys like sometimes it's there and then sometimes it's not but dakota what you said about her like you know when she's composed she doesn't she speaks you know with a more what do we call it like a straighter american accent like a flatter american yeah. accent i suppose um but then when she gets angry or something like that then her what would we call it like a native her native accent comes through like the one that she's actually born with like the one that she grew up speaking with um and i would say that that is something that is incredibly anybody who speaks another language um when you get mad and you start getting shouted Mm -hmm. that's when your like your first language accent will come through if when you're speaking like and it doesn't matter to me I've, I've seen it happen so many times like it doesn't matter how long or how well you speak the other language your first language will always be the thing that will override when you're angry because you're just angry so or I, drunk. I, yeah yeah or <laughs> drunk, that's actually yeah I yeah my dad lingual when i'm drunk it's amazing <laughs> my dad is an immigrant he's from england and and he doesn't have an accent of any sort he moved to the u.s when he was in his teenage years but when he would get like loud, it would like you, the English accent would start to come out. And I noticed it a couple of times with Chastain too, when she would get riled up. But I was like, I don't know. It goes back to the, if they added like a half hour of them together at home with the three kids, maybe the kids are like, you know, playing with guns again. And then she brought out the accent a little more. I'd be like, all right, I'm here. I'm really liking this. Yeah. That's a good point, though. I Yeah, I think that the, sometimes it can be kind of fun, but I don't know if this movie was going for fun with accents. No, it wasn't. This movie was more of like a straight and narrow. It's not fun. This is like Yeah, I'm the only person that's like, hey, JC, could we have just gotten like a 15 minutes of an Edie Falco impression in the middle of this movie? <laughs> but just I don't think there was anyone on like on on set that was like, you know, you know, at the studio, you know what A24 needs right now? They just need Chastain doing an accent for four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking, uh, we, we keep talking about the Sopranos and I could totally see this movie as a miniseries where the whole overarching, 
uh, plot of the season was him investigating who was stealing his his gas. Uh, like th- this easily could have been an HBO miniseries. Yeah, it's, it's it would now. Point. It would it would be now. Yeah, if they made yeah. it today, it would have been a miniseries with like five seasons that would just overextend it probably. Um, but I, the like the point you make about who was the one stealing his gas that was such a great. It's because it's. I don't want to call it. A, it kind of is a subplot, I suppose, because the main plot was was um, his life and his success, and yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. But this was such an interesting, like, mystery, like a who done it in yeah. the middle of everything, which I thought was because when they and then when you finally figure out who it was, I, there was a point that I remember thinking, like, oh, are they not going to tell us who it was? Because I thought they were going to leave it. Because for the most part, it. it seems so open ended. We're just like, yeah. oh, no one's saying anything. And then, yeah. and then it it is what it is. Like, and then they reveal yeah. it, and I was like, "Oh, I'm so glad that they did that because that made me feel a lot better." Because I was like, "It's um, it was a great mystery subplot that was in there." I think. Are we going to talk about that real quick? Let's do it. Yeah, there, it was, sure. so let's yeah. let's do some spoilers. If you have not seen the most violent year, we're going to talk a little bit of spoilers here. Go ahead, um, Todd. Todd. Yeah. Okay. Lee, Todd. Well, it's uh, it's just it's just Christopher Abbott. Like, it's just Christopher <laughs> Abbott just stealing. <laughs> stealing gas and i was like absolutely blown away i because christopher abbott is just one of my all-time like screen crushes and then for when he appears on like that highway sequence and i'm just like oh my god christopher abbott's in this movie who does he work for and then it just kind of turns out he's just a freelance truck jacker yeah him and mayor who's like another really good character actor yeah yeah and uh who unfortunately um you know passes away in the movie and then you're just kind of left with like the christopher abbott after that but like yeah it's just like it's it's funny in a way where this movie like you said is absolutely not going for laughs in any department but it's really just like it's so not like this large conspiracy although like obviously there are larger actors at play but it's not to the extent that you think it is and it's not the to the extent that Abel thinks it is either, right? Where he thinks it's this big nefarious thing. It's really just like some other guys trying to make a quick buck. And those guys just happen to be those two actors. And I was really like, this is like prophetic casting because especially for like the, the glow up that Christopher Abbott has had the last couple of years, especially, but it's, I was, I loved it. Yeah, it's he. He's one of those. It's one of those characters that, like, if you'd watch this in 2014, you you wouldn't have really thought twice about the performance. But like going back and seeing his name pop up in the credits, I was like, Christopher Abbott's in this movie, awesome! <laughs> and it, it just it just sort of shows that like the best directors are able to capitalize on their casting and like see talent before it like truly blossoms in, in, in Christopher Abigail cast is, is sort of one of those things where, you know, he's so good in, in a movie like possessor where he, he gets a chance to, to be the lead and, and really sort of uh, chew on the scenery a little bit here. Uh, and then in, in most violent year, he's on, on screen for what, maybe 10 minutes total. And yeah. most of it, you can't even tell that it's him because he's either, you know, uh, running away or behind a truck or something like that, where you just don't really know. But it's just one of those things where it's just like, you really appreciate directors and casting directors who are able to see talent. And I think the reveal of it being not, you know, one of the other, I was going to say families, but it's not, it's not like that. This is one of the other companies. Like, I love that. It's just, it's just some guy like who saw an opportunity. Present, yeah. Presented an opportunity. Yeah. Did, did, did what he had to do. Cause I think that it adds to, 
you know, we talked about it at the very, very beginning of the title of the movie, which is the most violent year and like, and where that comes from. But, you know, they don't, one thing in this movie I notice is they don't really build up at the very, very beginning of the movie. They kind of have, um, you can hear the radio and like TV clips going off about, you know, this murder happened, this police officer got shot, this thing happened, da, 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 da. And, uh, the ADA, he mentions it at some point. So like there are hints that it's very violent. Things aren't going very well right now in the city and, and things are tense. And I love that this character is there because it kind of puts a button on that of saying, it's just somebody who saw an opportunity. He's, he's completely outside of all of this stuff that's going on, all of this drama internally in their industry. Um, it's just someone who is living in the city at that time who also needs to make his money and he needs to do his thing. And this is his way of doing it. Um, and we don't really understand his motivations for it. Like we don't really get into that or anything like that, but I love the way that they, they chose that route for who was it, you know, cause I was fully expecting it to be one of the other companies was, was doing it. And, you know, or like plot twist, it was the, 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 the government, like it was the ADA or it was the police who like, put him in as a plant i actually thought that that's what he was saying when he kept saying please at the end i thought he was saying police i'm like oh the police put you up to this <laughs> but then i was like oh no he's just saying please um so yeah so i feel like they could have done like a lot of different you know twisty things but they kind of went for something a bit more direct and a little bit more subtle again like this movie is very subtle in in a, you know contrary to what the title says um so I, I want to bring up one last point that I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on it, but I just thought that this was an incredible immigrant story as well, because I like that there are moments where Morales, like we don't really, we don't get that big speech about like, oh, I came from this country yeah. and like my parents said that we don't, they don't do it that way. They, they have little, again, really subtle little moments throughout the movie that put together that this is a man, the reason, one of the reasons that he is, so straight and so narrow on on how he wants to operate his business is because as an immigrant he knows like you can't fall under the law in a bad way like he he needs to follow the rules because it, it's not just the typical kind of like the rules of america don't necessarily apply equally to him mm-hmm. whereas his wife who we presume has been because they they talk about her parents and and her her dad specifically um who so we can presume that her parents or her family has been in the states for a while specifically in new york she understands how things work. She understands what you have to do to survive, what you have to do to succeed. Um, and he's like, I don't want any part of that because it's, again, like the rules just don't, they're not the same for the two of them. And they have a very, very different prism that they look through this. And there's even the little scene where he goes um, when one of his drivers, Julian, starts trying to speak in Spanish to him and he goes mm-hmm. English, he goes speak yeah. in English. And they're just the two of them by themselves. Um, and I love those, those kind of little bits where, you know, this above it all about, you know, across everything that happens in it, it is just a story about an immigrant who is trying to make a life for himself in America and build something bigger and better than maybe what he would have had um, if he was in his home country, wherever that is. Cause they don't really say that. So I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was a really interesting thing. So I don't know if either of you have anything to add to that bit. Yeah, I'll I'll just, I'll just sort of say like they they make almost no men- they make no mention at all that he's an immigrant. So mm-hmm. it's sort of something you have to infer based on on his character and his decisions and and all the stuff that you were saying is absolutely true. And if it wasn't for that one line of speak English, it would almost sort of like like that's a sort sort of something that you hear of like when when people come 
move to a different country and they want to make sure that they're practicing the language so that way they can they feel like they're integrating and things like that. Like, no, I want to make sure I'm speaking the local language so that way I'm fully immersed in it at all times because otherwise I'm just going to slip into my my old habits and, and not make sure I'm learning and, and growing and all that sort of stuff. And so I think that was that sort of key moment for his character was, no, no, I know we're in private and no one else is around and we both speak Spanish, but we're going to speak English here, even though you sort of struggle with the language because this is going to help you grow, Julie, and this is going to help you sort of stay in character as an American. And so that was sort of the, really the only moment that you you sort of get the hint of that the, this guy's not from America originally. Other than that, yeah, we we have no idea of where he's from. You know, you can assume because he speaks Spanish, he's probably from somewhere in Latin America and all that sort of stuff. And so you get the idea of maybe where he's from, too much corruption was an issue. And here he doesn't want to be corrupt. And also because of, as you were saying, the legal system where if he gets caught, his competitors will be fine. You know, they might get a fine or jail sentence or something like that, but he might get deported, something like that. Where that's all really subtext that's sort of baked into this idea of people coming from a different country into America and having two different tiers of the justice system. Going off of what Dakota said, right, where it's like you're not totally sure what his background is, what the details are, how long he's been in the U.S., so on and so forth. I think one of the things that I really love about this movie, and it doesn't just end with a bell, but also this is also one of the things that makes it such a good movie about an immigrant and then i guess in some other ways about like immigrants right with the the driver is that this is a movie where every character has a code and even like going back to like christopher abbott's character it's like Mm -hmm. his motivations are like are clearly there but he doesn't work for like a higher up not really and and so yeah it's like every person has a code and especially Abel, who's at the center of the film, obviously, it's more about who he is as a person, like who he is morally. And that is the story that they are trying to tell. And that is the part of his character that it shines through most clearly. And that makes the immigrant story background like way out of focus. Like that's very much not inside the general frame of this movie, but it's also clearly there and is influencing all of his decisions. And I, and I love that because it adds this, this dimension to a character that you're probably never going to fully see the depths of. And that means it's like a really well-written and deep character. And I think actually that shines through in the writing of like all the characters, characters in this movie. I think there's like every character has a clear cut, code that they follow even if it's not clear to us it's like it's deeply ingrained in who they are like david a yellowo's character obviously is like not just a lawyer who's trying you know not just like an ada who's trying to crack down on them but he's also he's friendly with them and he's respectful and he has his own morals and and set of standards that he lives his life to and we have no idea what his background is we have no idea if he grew up in a violent past, but but all of that definitely colors who he is as a character. And I I I loved the that kind of the way that was presented in Oscar Isaac's character, and and then also presented in I think Julian is the name of the driver, right? Where it's like that's something that that character clearly struggles with a little more as 
presumably a kind of newer immigrant to the U.S. But that stuff isn't laid out in front of you. It's Chandor's kind of putting it on the audience a little bit to be like, you can dive into this or read into this however much you want. But that's on you because I think you're smart enough to handle that. And I, I always love when a, a writer, director, filmmaker respects the audience enough and trusts his actors enough to know that they can shoulder the burden of having a complex character and that the audience can understand the complexities of that character. And I think it only makes the film a richer text. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to add is like, I really like how Jessica Chastain, I think twice says uh, when she's talking about her, her books being like, we follow all industry standards and mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac being like, what does that mean? That doesn't mean <laughs> anything. <laughs> but I understand this is a very corrupt industry. Industry standards does not mean legal. <laughs> Yeah, I, I both well, very, very well said by both of you. I think of like, that's what the, this movie is so interesting. And I think Todd, like how you said at the beginning, it took you a second to adjust to what the movie was. And then once you do like you're into it kind of thing, like then 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 you can go with it. Um, but this movie is it truly is really, really incredible. And I know that it ended up on a bunch of people's like top 10 lists for the year in 2014. And um, it didn't. I'm, I'm trying to recall. I don't think it did too many, didn't make a huge wave like Oscar um, award wise, no, um, but really. it was, it was definitely one that like people look back on and go like, that was a damn fine movie. And I think it's, it's like a, it's a coalescence of everything coming together and working perfectly. Like you have the great casting, great actors, a great DP, a great director, great script. And, and there's so much more to talk about that you can do, which is, um, probably the most that you can ask of any movie, really. So um, before we head into um, the game section, is there anything else either of you want to add on? I, I know we've talked um, a lot about the movie already, but if there's anything else that we haven't addressed already. Whoever did the music, uh, let's see, I'm trying to find it. Alex, uh, Alex Ebert. Ebert. The lead singer mm-hmm. of the Magnetic Zeros. Yeah, killed it. Mm-hmm. Alex killed it. There's a, I think the... You only have to watch the first like three minutes of this movie, which is Oscar Isaac yeah. on a jog, which again, like if they wanted to add a half hour, I'd watch that for half an hour. Um, <laughs> you know, with just his music in the background, it was, I was like, oh yeah, this is great. Um, yeah, really very strong soundtrack and score. That's all I'll add though. Yeah, yeah I, that was one I also kind of wanted to highlight as well, because I also appreciate that they know when to not use it, like in specifically in that car chase scene where mm-hmm. it's almost silent. Yeah. And that's sort of, I, I think, the hallmark of a good director and a good composer of like knowing when you need music and when you don't need music is almost as important. Absolutely. that That's a great scene to put for actually like odd, oddly kind of to show how great the music was is in a scene that there was no music yeah. um, because... Yeah, mo- most, I mean, most movies you would have put in what, I mean, if it was Christopher Nolan, it would have been like a bunch of tones and like a bunch <laughs> of eating things, like, you know, so, and I-, I love Christopher Nolan, but you know, that, that's how it normally is. But when you take it away and um, it'd be interesting to hear like whose decision that was, like, was it, uh, you know, the composer being like, actually, I think that we should just let this breathe here. Like, just let this ride out and let the sounds of the road and the dirt and the car and you know him and like just let that be this the score here because um yeah that to me was a really great moment um in terms of non-music music mm-hmm. uh, but yeah
Um, okay, so why don't we get into our uh, the couple games that we always finish these episodes on? Um, so, Todd, let's start with you first. We'll do the double feature first. Um, so, what would you pair with uh, a most violent year, a, a non A twenty four film? I had to actually check to make sure this wasn't a twenty four film. I was like pretty sure it wasn't. But the film I'm going to go with is Killing Them Softly, mm-hmm. which is a 2012 film by Andrew Dominic, a name I feels awful coming off my tongue now following Blonde because <laughs> just don't get me started. But uh, yeah, Killing Them Softly, 2012, um, stars Brad Pitt. The cast of Killing Them Softly was like nuts. It was Brad Pitt, James Gandolfini, Ray Liotta, Scoot McNary, whole bunch of people. But while I was watching the while I was watching The Most Violent Year, I was really reminded the Albert Brooks character of A Most Violent Year, name we haven't mentioned yet. Um, mm-hmm. Always weird to see him in person because he's still just like Marlon from Nemo to me. I'm just like, <laughs> that's he's trying to find his son. That's what's happening right now in this movie. And But he reminds me a lot of the Richard Jenkins character from Killing Them Softly, which is just kind of like, the t- in this case, he's a lawyer. In Killing Them Softly, I think he's like kind of the guy that Brad Pitt goes to to get jobs. And Killing Them Softly is a much more violent movie, but it's that same kind of like slow burn, noirish crime film, but it's not big on the the like actual crime and it's it's kind of low octane and yeah I just it reminded me a lot of killing them softly a lot of the characters that come up in a most violent year remind me of of killing them softly they both kind of have that same feel of just like the movie form of the meeting of the five families from the godfather just if that scene you could distill the energy of that scene down into a movie that would be like a most violent year but the kind of like violent underpinnings of that would be killing them softly. And so uh, I do not endorse Andrew Dominic <laughs> or the works of Andrew Dominic, but that would be my double pairing. I've never seen that movie. And um, yeah, I'm with you on blonde. So I don't really have an inkling to go check out his other stuff, but yeah, I've never seen that movie though. <laughs> yeah. but it sounds like a stellar cast though. That sounds like a knockout. Yeah. It's a, it is a nuts cast. It's one I've always wanted to see, and especially since I'm a huge fan of uh, the assassination of Jesse James, which, mm. come on, guys, Andrew Dominic as well. He yeah, does have some bangers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that movie yeah. is very good, though. That's a, that's a great movie. Yeah. Underrated I think, Brad Pitt. Underrated. Sam Shepard's also in Killing Himself. It's just like everyone oh. in that movie. You're like, wait, who is it? You're like, wait, is that Sam Shepard? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good movie. And uh, yeah. Um, Dakota, what's your double feature? I, I really want to pair this with Margin Call, J.C. Chander's first movie, because I, I absolutely adore that movie. And that would allow me to talk about two J.C. Chandor movies on the same podcast. And especially since I already paired All is Lost with Locke, I was like, great, I can include his other one. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm going to hopefully save that for another movie. I don't know what, but uh, I'm sure I'll talk about it again another time because it's incredible. Instead, I'm going to go with the 1971 film, The French Connection. Mm-hmm. Uh because, you know, one, the, the main thing is there's a great subway chase scene, just like there is yeah. in, uh, in the most violent year. But also, I just think it's like it's a lot of people living in the gray areas of the legal system and how they make it work or not work for them. Um, and so I think there's some some overlap there. Also, you know, The French Connection just is, is a really fun movie. And, and it's one of those classics that 
uh, one of those popcorn classics that people put up there as like a really well-made movie that we we don't often get today. It's a good pick. That's a really really good pick, actually. That's yeah. thank you. Yeah, Not so bougie for you, Rachel. No, it's a solid solid seventies movie. <laughs> a solid nice. solid seventies movie. It's a good one. Excellent. Um, I so mine was is just like a pure kind of gut instinct or actually sorry before I get into my actual pick I'm going to throw my Elvis pick first my Elvis movie (laughs) a double feature because Todd gave us this idea just before we got on and now it's going to be a thing Um, the double feature Elvis pick is going to be King Creole because um, that kind of looks in the back of uh, the back end of, of like nightclub stuff and I mean, all his movies kind of end up being the same, I believe. So um, I don't know how long I can really do this for. But this King Creole is going to be the Elvis double feature pick for this movie. Um, but my actual pick, the one that when I was watching the movie again, uh, literally the movie that I was like, I really want to watch this now. Like, I, I just felt like watching it right after this one was done um, is Casino. And it's kind mm. of in the same vein as what um, the two of you guys have picked and, and yeah. the reasons why. I almost picked that one, too. It just, it just, I think because this one was not to say I needed violence, um, but because it was, it's subtlety done so, so well. And then Casino is, is, is not, it's like, it's incredible. It is very violent in there, but then obviously there are, there are quieter scenes and there's this and that, but Casino is one of my favorite. It probably is my favorite Scorsese movie, I think. And it, it's one of my all time favorite gangster movies. Um, but when I was watching this one, I was like, I just, I really want to watch Casino. So I might actually watch it later tonight. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Casino for mine and much of the same reasons actually that you guys picked, um, for yours of just in terms of similar thematics, um, across the board and that, and King Creole as well. It's a, it's a good movie of all Elvis movies. That's not a bad one <laughs> to watch. Just saying. Both Casino and A Most Violent Year also feature fabulously dressed mob wives. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Although Sharon Stone, notably allowed to be much sexier in casino <laughs> than notably yes Jessica notably. Chastain. <laughs> yeah. it's on the imdb trivia page it's like notably <laughs> no yeah it's the number one thing is notably sexier allowed to be sexier than jessica chastain in the most violent year 2014 and then it's like who who like who found this trivia tip helpful oh my god some of the imdb trivia i'll just go on a side rant here is like so ridiculous because it is like that and i don't want editorialized items my trivia i just want to know you know like how did this movie get made not just oh jessica chastain says that she had a lot of fun working on this movie what that is not trivia my, my the thing I hate, well, we're going on a tangent now, but the thing I hate most with those IMDb trivia pages, especially like in the Marvel world we're living in, every oh. movie is like half of this cast is all in the Marvel, is all in yeah. the MCU. Oh like, my god, off. I know like, every Marvel movie they have all been. And I'm like, who cares? I was like, yeah. this is not trivia that really bothers me, but I like, I used to love the trivia page because it used to give like actual fun facts, and now yeah. it's just, I, I can't. I yeah. can't deal with it. But did yeah. you know Chris? Yeah. Do you have any comments? Also, Todd? Captain America and Captain America One yes. and Captain America Two and in Captain America Three and Avengers One. That's yes, the thing too. They feel the need to list every single Marvel thing too. But um, Todd, do you have anything to add to the IMDb trivia? Um, I was about to say, like, I wonder if I could pull up the things I've downloaded on IMDb because it takes like a really special piece of trivia for me to like actively be like, I'm clicking the thumb down on the IMDb trivia page, but I've done it. 
like maybe a handful of times. Well, I've never. And I wish I could really. like find what they were because I'm like, no, not only is this like not helpful, I am actually going to try to push it further down the IMDb algorithm. Every once in a while, yeah, no, I click awful. the thumbs down, and then it's like you need to be signed in. I'm like, oh, I'm not. I don't want to have an IMDb account. No. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. Like I, that's what I'm saying. Like I. I will go through, there are some pieces of trivia that are so bad, I'll go through the effort. I'm like, you know what? I will. I'll reset my password just to vote down this piece of trivia that I hate so much. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say I've ever done that. I just get really angry about it when I read it. And I'm like, what is the point of all of these? And especially when you see that the trivia page, like, it's like, it looks like there's a lot. And that's it's exciting. You're like, ooh, there's so much here. And then it's all just crap. And I, yeah. But anyways, I'm moving on. Um, Dakota, why don't we start with you? Why don't you do your would you rather? Sure. Okay. Yeah, this was a bit of a tricky one and, and I couldn't really decide which way to go. But I'll just put it this way. Would you rather do door-to-door sales, which includes a lot of rejection sometimes, or drive a truck all day, often being stuck in New York City traffic? I Definitely door-to-doors. Ooh. Really? Ooh. You go, you, you expand first, Todd. Definitely door-to-door sales. Dakota rejected me from this podcast for like 12 months. So like, I'm, <laughs> I'll be fine. But no, go ahead, Rachel, talk on it. I know you love traffic. You know, okay, here's the thing. Like traffic is, I think maybe because I get stuck in it so often. I don't think my, my level of, of, um, What's the word am I looking for? My, like, my, my, my mind's going blank, but my ability to sit in traffic or my tolerance, that's where I was looking for. My tolerance for, for traffic is quite high because, yeah, it's just a way of life. <laughs> if you live in the GTA, you have to, um, you're going to sit in traffic a lot. So I, I don't mind sitting in traffic. Um, I don't like poorly built highways. That's something that I have an issue with. But if if I'm just sitting in traffic and I can listen to music or listen to podcasts or whatever, I'm fine. Like, whatever. It's not much I can do about it. You're just sitting there. Door-to-door sales, I couldn't deal with that. I just, I, I couldn't deal with that. I should have asked this before making my decision. But Dakota, is this like a would you rather set in 1981 or like 2023? Oh. <laughs> um, well, I guess because door-to-door sales isn't really a thing anymore. Um, yeah yeah i don't know just in the world where door-to-door sales exist and traffic exists (laughs) right well like i don't know if there's a big overlap between the existence of door-to-door sales and like podcasts but podcasts would make the the truck driving so much better because you could just listen to that all day rather than being stuck listening to like new york radio uh and like at like 1 p.m that's true that's i I didn't think about the time period actually and also i feel like if this movie was anything to go off of sitting in a truck for that long wasn't very safe. It wasn't very safe. So that was a very violent year. It was, it was, it was a most violent. Situation. You could say it was. Yeah. A most violent situation. Um, that's interesting. Dakota, what would you pick between the two? Uh, I, I think Todd has a, a key, key, key point there. And, uh, I would choose driving because A, I don't mind traffic and B, yeah, I would absolutely just listen to podcasts all day. Um, even even if I could choose my own music, it would be great. You know, if I get that aux chord, you know, I'm I'm a okay. That aux chord was that? Can you imagine if that was what the movie was? Like Christopher Abbott came up to the truck and he's like, "Give me the aux right now," and it was just, "I want the gas in your car in the aux chord right now." Yeah, 
Um, yeah. Okay, Todd, what was, what's your would you rather? Um, well, I had one was, I didn't really know how to phrase it as a would you rather, would you rather, but it was about, so it was about the original cast. I don't know if y'all saw this, speaking of the IMDb trivia page, but the original casting for this movie was Javier Bardem. And it was going to be like a slightly more violent movie. And so it was going to be like, ironically with the title. So I was going to ask, like, would you rather have that movie with obviously Javier Bardem is an incredible actor. And I don't think could maybe do the, the straight laced moral thing as well as, as Oscar Isaac. But that also could just be because like Javier Bardem is when he looks at you very seriously, it's like, Oh, he's going to kill that person. Yes. And so I was going to ask, would you rather have a movie that's slightly more violent with Javier Bardem and Chastain or the one we got with Isaac and, and Chastain? It's less violent. You go first, Rachel. I'm going to say the one we got because we've seen that other movie many, many times over um, by and done very well, too. I'm not saying that in a, in a, uh, a, um, a patronizing way. Like, I, I think that we've seen a lot of those types of movies done and, and done very, very well. Um, and this movie, one of the things that is so good about it is because it is a little bit different. Um, and I, I agree. I don't think Javier Bardem can pull off exactly what Oscar Isaac did. And it's it really is his face. Because his face is like he's seen some shit. He's been through it. Oscar Isaac still has like that kind of very fresh, uh, very handsome, kind of charming boy face still. Um, whereas Javier Bardem's is a more hardened face so yeah I, I would choose what we have now what we got yeah javier bardem sort of has uh two looks to him he he either has the sex god look or the i'm <laughs> going to murder you uh and i will enjoy murdering you or uh, both like, could be yeah. both right <laughs> um, um yeah that, that's very interesting but yeah i i sort of agree with you rachel i i sort of appreciate the restraint from this movie and uh and i think the oscar isaac was probably a better choice in the direction that they chose to go with it. I, I like it. The other would you rather I was going to ask was, would you rather have like your current life or would you rather be married to Oscar Isaac and or Jessica Chastain in real life, knowing that they have such good chemistry together? Cause I think that'd be like a tough pill to swallow every day as you're scrolling your Twitter feed and you're like, <laughs> see pictures of your partner with their college peer Every day, be yeah. tough. Could you be like a thruple with them? Like you could just—it's just the three. Well, is that an option? That's what I'm asking. Is, is that an option? Is a thruple an option? <laughs> Todd, is that an option in this hypothetical? Uh, <laughs> you're asking me if you can be a thruple with with both of them? Yes. Yes. But <laughs> and they're the still answer, married. Man. It's like a quintuplet. Are they still married? And you're just kind of like in in the middle of all of it. Like they're, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can, whatever I can you decide there, I'm going to go with it. If I can thruple with them, then I would a hundred percent thruple with them. Would you, would you thruple with them? But also Javier Bardem like lived with you just straight, like always looking like he was going to kill you. <laughs> he's, just, he's just sitting in the living room the whole time. Just like staring yeah. at you. Yeah. Just Anton Sugar in the corner under the lamp. What kind of hair? Alternatively, is uh, the one from being the Ricardo's. <laughs> just him playing the, the congas the whole time i, I yeah. would take that 
I would take that. Thruple <laughs> and then Javier Bardem Congoing on site. Yeah, I would do that. Done. That's my family life. I'd be very happy with it. <laughs> I, I feel like you're just describing a lot of fan fiction right now, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you you paid for what you get. <laughs> or you get what you paid for. Both. I paid for this. I'm going to get you, it. You paid for this, and you're going to get it. And the it in this situation is Javier Bardem playing the congas. All through the night. In your foyer. Non-stop. All through the night. All through the night. He doesn't sleep. If there was one person on earth that didn't sleep, I'd be like, it's Javier Bardem. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't blink. He just he does two staring things. in the corner. He there. has sex, and he kills while playing the congas. Damn. What a, what a man. That's a man right there. <laughs> Rachel, what is your question? Um, right. Okay. So my would you rather? I I I always struggle with this portion of the uh, the A twenty four games, but um, I was thinking about like violent cities. So if we take it as fact, like nineteen eighty one was a, a pretty bad year. I, I would say the eighties in general in New York City were really rough and um, probably not exactly where you would want to live, particularly if you had to live in maybe some of the, the harder areas of, of the city. So my question would be, would you rather live there or, and I was looking for other time periods and cities that were pretty rough. Um, and I saw on, um, I think it was a Reddit post or something like that. Somebody mentioned they were like Victorian England. Like if you lived in Victorian mm. London during in the slums, particularly like that was a rough show. So my question would be for, would you guys rather try to exist in, 80s New York City in like in a bad part of town, not like in fancy Manhattan or whatever. Um, or would you rather go Victorian England slums and you're poor in both situations? Uh, I like the modern amenities, so I'm going to choose uh, 1981 New York. Fair, Todd. Does does the Victorian era also have podcasts? <laughs> or I mean. Because if not, then probably New York. It'd be like a town square. Like they would just have some some idiot. Just one one guy on a on a box talking to himself about Javier Bardem. That could be you, Todd. (laughs) Could be me. You could be the one that's just standing in the town square, just constantly spouting off your opinions about. Hear hear ye, hear ye! Here comes Javier Bardem. Exactly. Um, Yeah, probably New York. Like definitely New York, nineteen eighty one. What about you, Rachel? I I like. I think I'm more curious about Victorian England. Like I know it sounds like it would just be a rough show and it would be absolutely terrible and I would hate it and I would probably like die within I don't know a year or something like that. But um, I'm more curious about that than I am about New York City in the eighties. I think because we've just seen that so many times. So just out of sake of curiosity, I would go back in time and chill in, in Victorian England slums, slumming it. It wouldn't be fun, though. I really don't think it no would No traffic. Fun. No tra- Well, I mean, I would think the, like, the horse carriage situation might be rough. Worse, yeah. Yeah, yeah way more horse Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not true. good with um, like motion sickness, so I feel like that might be a bit too jostly. I don't know how mm. I feel about that. It's an issue. Yeah, you got to think about these things. You really got to think these things through. Um, that, I love that that's the concern. Just yeah. before we wrap up, that's the concern. She's like, I live in Victorian England, yeah. but motion sickness might be like, I need some Dramamine before I do. This might be the thing that puts me off of it. Where's the gravel? We'll see. Like, there's no drinkable water in the era you've chosen, but you're like, nope. I might get motion sick. 
and if the, I have to travel situation was really an issue as well. Like that was a real problem back then too. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't like being motion sick. Like that's just, it's not pleasant. Is it? It's not, it's not a nice. No, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I hate being motion. Sick. Are you though? It's the worst feeling. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like not with you in terms of like physically with you in Victorian England, but I'm with you spiritually in terms of I don't want to be motion sick while also risking the bubonic plague. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate that. It feels yeah, very supportive in a in a in a in a roundabout way. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I I That's think a most supportive pod good place to end this episode todd thank you so so much for for finally accepting my invitation i don't know why you kept turning me down um where can people find you what have you been working on all that good stuff uh you can find me a lot of my writing is at for real this is for real.com uh recently published three lists my year-end list for 2022 which if you're a fan of contra zoom you can you know, you can get around to reading those in like April or May when that year, when the calendar finally flips over here. Yep. Um, yeah. So I've, I've some lists on documentaries, animated films, narrative features. Yeah. But for real is where most of my work gets published. And you can follow me on the socials at Todd underscore complex. I think there's an underscore in there. Yeah. That's me. It's Soon really- we'll be changing my handles too. Javier Bardem's conga line. <laughs> it's a it's a good thing I'm, I'm I make really detailed show notes because that was some yeah. vague self promotion there. Yeah, that was. Yeah, there you go. A plus, no notes. <laughs> Rachel, what about you? Where can people find you? What have you been working on? And what are you going to forget to mention? Um, before we get into all that, I, I just want to say I'm Todd. Your animated list. You didn't list it like it was part of I think one of your honorable mentions, but I was really happy when I saw Inter Intergalactic as um yeah. thing. I was I was really pleased with that because I love that movie. I think it's yeah, a it was a real considered movie, but it's um, a movie. What else would it be? They calling it a TV <laughs> okay. show because it was meant to be a TV show, and then they just strung it all together. Oh yeah, so no, like they're I, wrong. I remember going on the wiki and they they call it a TV like a series. I think they actually call it a series. Um. Oh, they do. Yeah, so they're wrong. Your your lists are great, though. I did check them. I I don't actually. I've seen the animated and the documentary one. I don't think I've seen the other one. I'll look at uh, other one. I think I don't know if it's been shared yet. Christopher Abbott also in Intergalactic. There we go. Full circle. Oh yeah. Yes, as of January 11th, your best films of 2022 list is up. So all oh, of yes. them will be in the show notes. I will go check. I will share it soon. Um, oh, what am I doing? I, you go rachelkh.com underscore rachelkh for Twitter and Instagram, though I don't really use Instagram. Um, what have I done? Oh, I did a plane review for the movie Plane. It's not a plane, mm-hmm. it's like an aeroplane, but it's just an called Aeroplane. It was a very plane. basic plane review. Yeah, aeroplane was actually the other title they were going with. Aeroplane. <laughs> I was there's a couple guys that like I, I chat with on Twitter and like they were saying like what else are we naming movies now and I was like it could be Gun, someone else said it could be Island. I was like yeah they've just kind of cut to the chase with these movies. So, well um, to be yeah, fair, the the title Airplane was already taken. They could have gone like Airplane question mark like oh Airplane, oh. <laughs> airplane? <laughs> plane you know like they could have done that instead. Plane. Um, 
I will say that movie though, not as bad as, as it appeared to be. I think everyone thought it was going to be really bad, but it's not that bad. Um, and then I did also a review for a Canadian movie called Dormouse, which um, yeah, if you have the inclination, you go check that one out if you're into Canadian movies. Uh, Cause that's a di- directorial debut and of Avon, Avon Georgia. I apologize if I'm not saying your name right. Um, but it's cool. Like that's actually a, a little neo-noir. Um, the story's a little bit eh, but the, um, the actual directing of it and like the stylizing of it is very, very cool. So definitely go check those out. Those are both on Exclaim and then the Asian cut. I don't know if we have any, we don't have anything new on there since last week. So, but yeah, just go on there, take a browse, enjoy. Um, I think, I believe we're going to have a couple new things out next week. So. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to see what you have. And uh, we'll link to the next time you uh, we, we have something to talk about there, Rachel. But uh, this has been a That Shelf podcast. Visit thatshelf.com for more great film discourse. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Uh, what did you think of A Most Violent Year? Have you seen it? Not seen it? Send us your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.